everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it's a joy to be with you today, and if you have your Bible, turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 77. Now, Psalms is found basically in the very middle of your Bible. It depends on uh, your Bible. If your Bible's got a lot of study helps at the back of it, it might not be in the middle. But for most Bibles, Psalms is right smack dab in the middle of uh, the book. And so you turn to chapter 77 as we continue a study that we started a few weeks ago called Vital Questions. And we're going to look together in Psalm 77 because the psalmist in Psalm 77, wrestles with a question that I think is common to all of us. Now, it's funny, I've said that every time, hadn't I? And these are all questions that we ask at one time or another in our life. And sometimes the questions that we ask and, and, and wrestling with these questions can really sink us spiritually. But I believe this is a question that many of us struggle with. And the question that he asks in Psalm 77 is simply this, why am I discouraged? Have you ever been discouraged? I, I don't want to chase this rabbit, and it's dangerous for me to even say this, uh, because it's easy to chase a rabbit. Um, but recently, I find myself getting to the place where I just can't watch the news anymore. Have you ever gotten there? Uh, I, I, I'm there, I mean, I, I grew up, my dad watched the news in the morning and watched the news in the evening, and I just inherited that. I watched the news in the morning and the evening, and, and, and suddenly when it gets past the local news, I just turn it off. I'm like, man, it is so discouraging to me. When I look at where we are, I get discouraged when I think about my grandchildren and my children and, and, and the challenges that we face today. Um, it reminds me, and I think I'm going to do a series on this at some point maybe. That's why it's dangerous to chase this rabbit. Um, it reminds me of the childhood book that we read. I'm not sure that children read it today called The Emperor's New Clothes. Do you remember that? You remember that story? The emperor's new clothes, somebody came in and they told the emperor that we're going to make this wonderful, beautiful clothes for you. And, but here's the deal. You, you, only smart people can see it. Only wise people can see it. Only those who are intelligent can see it. It's invisible to everybody else. And so the, you remember the king would sneak a look in there and he would see people sewing and he couldn't see anything, but he didn't want people to know that he's not wise and, and, and he's not smart and he's not intelligent. And I just somehow believe that there's somebody that has slipped into America and said they've sold us a bill of goods and said we've got something that we want to give to everybody in America but only those who love can see it and only those who are not racial can see it and only those who are not bigots can see it and only those who really are smart can see it and it just gets discouraging to me because I'm waiting for some little boy to stand up one day and say the king's naked to make the observation that all of us are recognizing. Well, that's where discouragement kind of enters my life from time to time. So it might be on a national level. It might be on a personal level. It might be at, at your work that you have become discouraged or at school that you become discouraged or maybe the challenges of life. But here's the, here's the struggle with discouragement. 
Discouragement, if you're not careful, leads to depression. And depression can lead to despondency, and despondency can lead to despair. And I think what's happening in the psalm before us is that, that, that the psalmist becomes discouraged. And, and all of a sudden he realizes that his response to this is going to carry him in one of two directions. If I don't respond well to this discouragement, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up on a road that will lead me to depression and despondency and despair. Or I've got another option. I can fight my way out. And if I fight my way out, I might get to a place where I can handle it. And, and he sees that he's at a crossroads and it's a dangerous place where he is. And so I would say to you, for many of us that are discouraged about whatever event in our life, it, it might well be that we're in a dangerous spot. Because either we're going to follow a path that brings us to a dark place, or maybe we can learn from the psalmist in chapter 77 to discover how to get out of it. He describes his situation like this, unable to sleep because of his discouragement and despair. He's counting the days rather than sheep. He's not even able to articulate his thoughts. He is emotionally exhausted. He has fought these fights, these thoughts, these challenges to the point that he is so tired he just can't speak. And I think that describes the battle that many of us have had or face or may be facing. He lived his life looking back over his shoulder at a better time. Those were the good old days. Those were the days when things were good. And the more he looked over his shoulder at the good old days, the more discouraged he becomes in the present and it brings him to the place where he asks the question God why am I discouraged and, and, and here's another danger why am I discouraged if you're not careful can simply become why <laughs> and why me and why now and those questions begin to haunt him in fact, he even asked some questions, as we'll see. Has God rejected his people? Does he no longer care? Has he lost his compassion? Man, these are questions that come from the heart of a guy who knows God. This is not an unbeliever. This is a guy that knows God. This is a guy that knows that God can intervene, that God can work in our life, that God answers prayer. But for some reason, he's not answering mine. And for some reason, he's not working in my life. I wonder if that maybe resonates with you. God has the ability to help you, but you're not really sure he will, that he's willing. Well, I think the psalmist offers us some help. And as we kind of watch him walk through this, and that's the value of the psalms as we've seen. We watch him walk through all of these things to come out on the other side. And, 
and we can walk with him through this and gain some insight into how to handle the disappointments and discouragements that we face in life. But now I want to I say this before I, I get any further. Discouragement can lead to depression. And I, I want to say this. There are some of you that are in the throes of depression. And I, do, I, I want you to hear me when I say I am not making light of your battle. Depression is, is a real deal. And I, I, and I want to tell you something. I can't offer you three steps out of that, and, and it's not that easy. Uh, for, for some of you, there are physical reasons why you are facing the challenges that you're facing. And there may be chemical issues. And, and, and don't be ashamed to seek medical help in those issues. But what I think we may be able to do today is find the first three steps that we can take. And, and, and these are three steps that you can take. And if, even if you might be classified as clinically depressed, then there are other things that you need and other sources of, uh, of, of help that might be available to you. These are three steps that can kind of move you in a direction that will help you find answers. And that's what we look for in this text. So look with me, if you will, Psalm 77. I'll read it for you and then come back and kind of unpack it because it's typical Psalm. You have to kind of spend a little moment there sometimes to really understand what he's saying. My voice rises to God and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remembered God, then I am disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. You have held my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject forever? And will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has he promised his promise to come uh, to an end for uh, his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? Then I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the most high has changed. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders from old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? You are the God of works and wonders. You have made known your strength among the people. You have by your power redeemed your people, the son of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God, the waters saw you, and they were in anguish, and the depths also trembled, and the crowds poured out water, and the skies gave forth a sound. Your arrows flashed here and there, and the sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind, and the lightnings lit up the world, and the earth trembled and shook, and the way was in the sea. And your path in the mighty waters and your footprints may not be known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. 
Now, I want you to notice one thing. He begins by talking about the struggle that he is having, but in verse 10, there's a change in tone. In verse 10, he does something that that I think is critical and important. In verse 10, he simply says this, it is my grief. Wait a minute. This is my problem. This isn't God's problem. I've been looking at this as if this is God's problem, that he's the one causing this. He's the one that's incapable. He's the one that can't come through. He's the one that's not going to come through. And he said, you know what? I, whoa, wait a minute. This is my problem, not God's problem. And three times in the next two, two verses, he says, I will, I will, I will. He makes up his mind to move in a new direction. And he offers three steps that I think can become three steps that are critical to help us get a handle on this as well. Now, the first thing he does is this, and I think this is powerful for us. He remembers the right things. I think it's important for us if we're going to overcome, number one, we need to remember the right things. Go ahead and put that one up there. Do you see that next slide? There you go. Remember the right things. Uh, now, the reason I believe this is critical is simply this. Our memory is among our most noble assets, but we have got to be selective and we must be disciplined in our memory. Now, the reason I say that is this, what the psalmist had been remembering was keeping him up at night. What he was remembering was enslaving him. What he was holding on to was literally causing depression and discouragement and despondency. And I want to tell you something. It's the same with us. The problem with many of us is what you're remembering. There are some things you can't let go of. You just continue to remember that one failure in your life over and over and over again. And you can't get past that. And you can't sleep at night. And you can't see the goodness of God. And you can't see the grace of God because you keep remembering that one event in your life. And so the psalmist says, I'm going to tell you something. If I don't quit thinking about this stuff, I'm, I'm going to end up depressed. And that depression is going to lead to despondency and despair. I've got to be careful what I remember. There are some things you need to quit remembering. There are some things you need to let go of. There are some things you need to forgive yourself for and release and the psalmist is saying, I, I, I begin to look and I'm, I'm going to remember the right stuff. I'm going to remember the things that move me out of this, not carry me deeper into it. And he says it this way, I will remember the great deeds of the Lord and the miraculous wonders of old. Now, let me ask you a question. Where is he going to find a collection of the wondrous deeds of God in his word, right? So what he's ultimately saying is, you know what? I need to get in the word. If I get in the Bible and I begin to study how God works in the lives of other people, then I begin to remember that in difficult times, God shows up. 
I mean, if you look at the story of Scripture, I can find life after life after life, person after person after person who is facing impossible challenges. And in that moment when God needed to show up, guess what? He did. And he says, that's what I need to remember. Instead of remembering the, 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 the bad things that have happened in my life, I need to remember the good stuff. And I'm going to focus on what God did. Now, I want to tell you something. It's kind of like we learned last week. You remember last week we were talking about the question, why do the wicked prosper? Why do people that don't love God seem to have the life made and they're doing well? Those are the questions we struggle with. And you remember what I told you. One of the reasons that this psalmist began to struggle with that question is because he just, as he began to get bogged down in questions he didn't understand, he quit going to church. And all of a sudden, you remember, he came back to the church, and that's when he found the answer. He said, when I return to the house of the Lord, it became clear to me. I begin to see that. This is what I've discovered. Sometimes the very thing we need most is the thing we walk away from first. And many of you, you quit reading the Bible because the Bible just doesn't make any sense. I'm in a dry spell. I can't hear God. I can't feel God. I can't sense God. And the Bible is just like reading something that doesn't make any sense. And so you quit. And what does the psalmist say? When you quit, you quit remembering. I'm, I'm choosing to remember the way God has worked in the past. So I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to I'm going to focus on what did God do in Elijah's life? What did God do in Elisha's life? What did God do in Moses' life? What did God do in Abraham's life? What did God do in, the, in Moses? All of those people, I'm going to focus on that. And when I see the faithfulness of God in their life, I begin to recognize the faithfulness of God in my life. But not only do we need to remember God's faithfulness, in his past faithfulness in the lives of others, here's something even more important. We need to remember God's faithfulness in our life. We have a tendency to forget the times that God has been there for us. Do you know that you have a spiritual history? And let me just say this. You need to write it down. What is your spiritual history? What's your story? How has God been faithful to you? Do you remember? Maybe it was a, a, a night you were up with a sick child and you didn't know what in the world to do and, and, and there was nothing else for you to do but pray. And somehow, some way, in the midst of that experience, things got better. Maybe it was a time when your business went flat and you just didn't know if you could survive and you prayed and somehow things got turned around. Maybe it was a broken marriage and you struggled and, and the challenges that you faced and somehow God put the marriage back together. Maybe it was a time when you lost that marriage and you walked away from that and you felt like you would never be whole again and, and you could never love again and you could never feel, feel okay again. And somehow in the midst of all that you face, God has redeemed that situation and, and he brought you through that and you're healthy and and that's your spiritual story. Maybe it was an automobile accident that you walked away from and there's no way you should have, but you did. What's your spiritual story? What's your history? Don't, don't you see how often we forget those amazing things God does for us? 
And we begin to despair thinking that he doesn't care. And so the psalmist said, we're remembering the wrong things. We're remembering the things that don't make sense rather than remembering the times that God was faithful in my life, the times that he was there for me, the times that he was there for others in his word. So he tells us that we need to remember the right stuff. Secondly, he tells us that we need to have an attitude of gratitude. Now, this sounds so simple and so easy that we just kind of gloss over it and you just kind of gloss over and go somewhere else in your mind today. But, but I think it's so powerful for us to recognize this because so many of us focus on the wrong stuff. We focus on the questions that have no answer. But what I recognize the psalmist does is really interesting. As he begins to get bogged down in the things that he doesn't understand, the things he doesn't know, he suddenly, in the midst of all of that, breaks out into praise. And he begins to praise God. And as he begins to praise God, suddenly something happens. He, he quits pouting and he starts praising. And as he begins to praise God and as he begins to focus on who God is, and, and he begins to focus on what God has done. It's, it's as we remember the past, when we remember our spiritual history, when we remember how God has been faithful in the lives of others, all of a sudden a song begins to well up in our life and we begin to, to, to offer praise. And so it's natural that the next thing that would happen in the psalmist's life is that he would begin to praise and he puts on the cloak of praise. And I want to tell you that, that praise is like a coat that you wear. If you put on a coat and walk out into a cold, rainy winter day, do you, have you ever noticed that the coat doesn't change the weather? It's still cold, it's still rainy, it's still miserable out. But that coat makes a difference to you, doesn't it? All of a sudden, that coat can make a miserable, cold, wet experience bearable. And we can go on with our life even amid that. And that's what praise does. It, it doesn't change the circumstances of our life. And, and in fact, the reason many of us don't praise is because we think that the circumstances have to change before we can praise God. We know how to praise God in the good times, but when the bad times come, oh goodness, but I want to tell you something. The psalmist says, we, we, we better learn how to praise God in the bad times. We, we need to learn how to praise God when things aren't going well. And when things don't happen the way that I want them to. Because as I begin to praise God in the good times, it begins to make a difference. And, and the reason it does is because I'm rejoicing in him, not in the circumstances. And it allows me to rise above the circumstances of life because my joy is in him. You see, this is, this is the problem. Many, many, many people today rejoice in success. We, we rejoice in success. We rejoice when things happen the way we want them to, when it goes the way we want it to go. And we rejoice in 
success rather than in the Lord. Do you, do you remember there was a story in the life of Jesus? He was with his disciples going through the area of Galilee, and, and there were not just 12, there were hundreds of people that were following Jesus at the, at the peak of his popularity. There were hundreds of people that were following him. And at one point, Jesus commissions and sends out to communicate the message that he had been sharing. He sends out 70 of his followers. Do you remember that in Luke? He commissions and he sends out the 70 to go and proclaim the message that they had heard him proclaim. And so these 70 missionaries that were followers of Christ went and began to share the message and they come back and the Bible tells us in the book of Luke chapter 10, they come back and they're so excited and they're rejoicing in their success. And this is what they said to him. They said, Lord, even the spirits are subject to us in your name. I mean, this was a successful trip. People's lives were changed and people were healed and people were, were, were delivered. Even the spirits were subject to us. Now, you would think Jesus would say, yes, give me a high five. That's great. That's wonderful. But he doesn't. Do you remember what Jesus said in chapter 10, verse 20? He says this, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Don't rejoice in the success. But rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Here's the thing that you rejoice about. Not, not the success, but that your name's written in heaven. I think this is what Jesus may have been saying. Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you because there may come a day when the spirits are not subject to you. Then what are you going to do? Then what happens? And, and you know what he's saying? Nothing happens. Our relationship's still the same. Your name's written in heaven. Your name secure in heaven has nothing to do with the good or the bad things that happen around you. And so that we can rejoice and find joy in our relationship with God. Don't focus on success. Focus on him. Rejoice that your name is written. Praise him. Listen, the, the greatest tool to overcome discouragement, despair, despondency, and depression praise just break into praise and praise God whether you feel like it or not whether you are into it or not even whether you believe what you're praising him for or not just do it so the psalmist says this is how you get out of discouragement remember the right stuff it helps me when I worry about this world that we're living in to remember the right stuff God's still on his throne He's still in charge. He's not asleep at the wheel. And when you remember that, praise him. God, thank you that you're still in control. And that even when life doesn't make sense to me and it looks like things are not going to be good, you're still in control. You're still God. You're worthy of our praise and all glory and honor. There, there comes a day when, when, when our focus is to be on him. It reminds me of the story that, that um, 
it happened to a young lady. She, she married a man who was in the military. And it was during wartime, and, and they were transferred to a, a, an out-of-the-way base for training that he was to receive. And, and, I mean, she went with him to a place she had never been before, and it, it, was, it was horrible for her. It was a horrible move. Um, he was gone all the time receiving the training that was necessary from this particular assignment. And she found herself in a culture she didn't understand, surrounded by people that didn't look like her, people didn't act like her, people didn't talk like her, people that she just couldn't befriend. And, and she was miserable. She wrote home to her mom and, and began to complain to her mom about hor how horrible the circumstances were and where she was and what she was facing, even hinting in the letter that she wanted to leave and come home to mom. And mom, in wisdom, just wrote her back, and all she did was include two lines from a famous poem that simply said this, two men look through the same bars. One sees mud and the other sees the stars. Love, mom. She got the letter and got the message. And she began to make an effort to meet people that didn't look like her and didn't act like her, didn't talk like her. And suddenly she began to appreciate their culture and love these people in a way that she never even dreamed possible. And she developed deep friendships and opened her home up to a Bible study for other ladies in the area, and, and it became one of the richest times in her life. The psalmist said, I'm going to remember the right stuff. I'm going to have an attitude of gratitude. And then the final thing that he does is this. He says, I need to learn how to lean. Seems like every one of these reminds you of a song, right? As the psalmist reflects on the work of God in the past, as he remembers, he begins to focus on how God led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. In the latter part where he's talking about the waters and all that he's saying there, the depths trembled and the waters saw and were in anguish and the sky gave way and the arrows flashing. He's remembering the event of the Exodus when God leads the nation of Israel out of bondage in Egypt and they find themselves excited that God has finally delivered them. They walk out, millions of people under Moses' leadership walk away from Pharaoh, excited that they're finally free. And moments after their freedom, they face a huge challenge. Pharaoh decides that he's not going to let them go. I'm not going to let my slave labor leave that easily. So he gathers his army and he begins to come in pursuit of them. They recognize that there's a wilderness on one side, there's mountains on the other, and there is a sea in front of them. And Pharaoh, they see the dust gather as his armies approach. And there's no hope for them. And we know the story. God makes a way where there is no way. He parts the waters so that they can walk across on dry ground. But the psalmist says something in this text that is very interesting. In this text, look at what he says in verse 19. Your way was in the sea, your paths in the mighty waters, and your footprints may not be known. I think what he's saying is simply this. Sometimes 
it's hard to see God working in our life. And as he reflects, he simply says, your footprints may not be known. He leads us through his servant Moses. He's saying in simple terms, the truth is God's leading is also often invisible to us. His footprints are unseen. There are times in our life where we ask God and we pray and we plead and we see nothing. But what the psalmist wants to tell us is this, even though we don't see his footprints, that doesn't mean he's not there. He is there. And we've got to learn, even when we're discouraged and even when we're depressed and even when we're despondent, to lean on God and to believe that he is leading, even listening. When I can't feel his hand on my shoulder and when I cannot hear his voice in my ear, and often we get discouraged because we can't feel his presence. There was a great man of God that was a part of this church for many years, and I'm privileged to have learned much from him. His name was Bill Gillum. Some of you remember Bill. I used to, I love Bill used to say this often. You can't trust your feeler. Many of us put all of our trust in our feeler. And he says, you can't trust your feeler. We need facts. Our feeler tells us one thing, but the word of God tells us something else. Don't trust your feeler. Go with a fact. My feeler tells me God's not here. He's not listening. He's not present. But what does the word of God say? Jesus says, I in the book of Hebrews, I will never leave you or forsake you. And you remember, I've told you this many times. Here's the way it translates in Greek. There's several double negatives there. It's, it's not good English to translate it literally from the Greek. So we translate it this way. I will never leave you or forsake you. But if you translate it literally from the Greek, it says this. I will never, no, not ever, no, never leave you or forsake you. I don't care if you don't see my hand. I don't care if you can't see my footprints. I don't care that you can't hear my voice. I will never, no, never, no, not ever leave you or forsake you. You hold on to that. You lean into me with faith. Don't you ever let go of that reality. C.H. Spurgeon, who struggled with depression every day of his life, that great preacher of yesteryear once said this, if you cannot trace the hand of God in your life, trust his heart. And there are many days that you can't trace the hand of God, but we can trust his heart. It's not about feeling, it's about faith. Faith comes from facts. The more I'm confident of the fact, the greater my faith in this truth. And the scripture tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So here we are right back to our time in the word. So three things he teaches us in the text before us. Look in the book and remember the right stuff. His work in the past and your spiritual history. Keep an attitude of gratitude Praise him no matter what. Even when life's falling apart, praise him. 
Put on the coat of praise. It's not going to change the weather outside, but it will sustain you in the midst of it. And finally, learn to lean on him even when you can't see him and know that he will guide you. And it's interesting, he says he guides you through Moses and Aaron. God puts people in our lives sometimes, circumstances in our lives sometimes, events in our lives sometimes. He's always working in your life to bring you where he wants you to be. And it may be that you can't see his footprint, but he's using others to bring us to where he wants us so that we can handle the disappointments of life. They're going to happen. We can handle the discouragement of life. Because I think it's discouragement's the common cold of the emotions. It's something that happens to all of us at one time or another. But the psalmist has told us the first three steps that we can take to overcome. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message today. Boy, I need to hear this. Because it's easy for me to get discouraged and... Man, for my discouragement, it can lead me down a dark path quickly. And there are some who have made some progress down that dark path today that need your touch and your help. Remind us today that we can, we can take these three steps that the psalmist did. We can make up our mind that I will remember the right stuff. I will remember how you have always been faithful to your children and how you've been faithful in my life. And I'm going to focus on that. I am not going to remember the stuff that, that takes me down the wrong path. I'm going to remember the right stuff. And I'm going to praise you because you are faithful. And you've been good to those in the past. And you're good to us. And we praise you for your love and your mercy and your grace. So make us a people of praise. Father, help us learn to lean heavy into you. And to the truth of your word so that we can walk in the power of that truth. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.